Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer, and I'm here. Uh, well, let me introduce myself before I do that part. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I design tabletop role-playing games, and I am here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. <laughs> I was going to have to fill in for you again if you forgot to tell him who yep. you were. It's happened That's before. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. You don't have it. You You tend to be to cover everything and you kind of the intro sounds very similar often but every so often like it's oh it's like i notice it's like oh she presented that a little differently or off script baby switch switched yeah. two sentences in their order that i'm from what i'm used to and it's like <laughs> it totally throws me but i am craig campbell and i'm the owner of nerdburger games and i design tabletop role-playing games as well and we are here with jeffrey hello jeffrey hi there nice to, nice to see you both again Thanks for having me back. We've just been having a pretty long conversation, so it's kind of weird to be like, hey, how's it going when we've already gone through this? But hello, how are you? Who are you? Who who am I? Yes, I. well, which order should I go? I'll start with who I am, and then I'll tell you uh, how I'm doing. I am uh, Jeffrey Golden. I'm a game designer and a narrative designer for both uh, video games and tabletop role-playing games. I've written for Ubisoft, Square Enix, Disney, and uh, indie studios around the world. I am part of a, an actual play podcast called Worst Movies Ever Played on Starburns Audio Network. And I think we'll be talking more about that as we go on. And uh, I've also, yeah, I've wrote, wrote uh, written games that have been, been printed and published around the world. And uh, it's very nice to see you both. And uh, in terms of what, uh, in terms of how I'm doing, I'm doing all right. I'm a little <laughs> sleepy. I didn't get a great night's sleep last night, unfortunately. I like to be at my best when I'm doing a podcast. So I, but I, if I'm a little, if I come off as a little sleepy, it's not because uh, I'm not enjoying the conversation, but it is because I literally did not get much sleep. Uh, <laughs> so that's what's happening. <laughs> It's fun to record in different time zones. I think we're all in three different time zones right now. Yeah, it's nine. Uh, it's nine a.m. here. That's early for me. That's pretty early. Yeah. <laughs> well, I get up now. I it used to be early for me. Now I get up on average around six a.m. And this is just my body is just like you are not allowed to sleep anymore. You used to be able to sleep, and now you can't. You must wake up early. But this morning, <laughs> I woke up. I woke up at 4.30 and had trouble getting back to sleep. Ow. It was, it's bad. So oh, I don't, part of my plan. Was this part of your plan to deprive me of sleep so I'd give you a real edgy performance? <laughs> uh, give you a real edgy interview? <laughs> sure. Could rile things up in the podcast uh, Twitterverse or whatever. Well, yeah, as we, as we are in any uh, submitted podcast, um, yeah, I figure we got to bring a little, a little extra spice every now and then, right? Yeah. Got to have a, got to have a very, you know, a very, uh, a very special episode every now and then. Got to have a you won't believe episode every now and then. And somewhere down the road, I think we're going to kill off a main character. Oh boy! All right, well, let's not have that be this one. <laughs> I, I got to steer clear of murders. I got to do that for a little. I got to lay low for a little while, if you don't mind. Cool. So thank you. Well, uh, you mentioned that you have an actual play podcast, and that is great because what is our topic for this afternoon slash morning, Craig? (laughs) Yeah, we're talking all about actual plays in both of our topics and just broad umbrella, actual play, for those not in the know, talking about actual games being played, um, whether they are uh, streamed and broadcast live. Uh, via you know Twitch or YouTube or maybe even an audio format, or they're recorded and then presented later as a, a, you know as a video or, or an audio podcast or video cast. Uh, so it's like yeah, actually playing the game, hearing the GM, hearing the players, hearing them all embody the characters and, and play out and use the rules and all that sort of thing. Um, specifically, starting off with GMing for APs for actual plays. You know, there's there's a certain level that's kind of expected of performance because there's an audience outside of just the group of people that are at the table that comes uh, as, as part of an AP. So uh, that presents unique challenges for everybody involved. And of course the GM, because the GM often has more responsibilities to deal with. So let's, uh, let's talk about like things to keep in mind if you're GMing an actual play. I've never done this before. So I have no 
<laughs> I don't, I don't even particularly enjoy listening to actual plays, to be honest. Like there are a couple that I really get into, but like in all in all, it's not a big portion of my, my audio consumption. So I'm very curious um, what your, your tips are. I, again, I've played in one, never done one, yeah. never jammed one. Well, Jess has got nothing. So <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you, you've watched some, so you've seen some stuff. Oh yeah. Like, I could give some, some, some advice from an outsider's perspective. <laughs> Let's but, turn yeah. it over. Well, I don't to... know that player is an outsider's perspective. I, I, I mean, I think that if you, and I think this is a big difference between uh, right there. You know, when you're in an actual play, whether you're the GM or whether you're a player, you know, you are an actor on a show. You are part of a troupe, like a theater troupe, basically. And so everybody has a part to play in terms of telling the story. But yeah, you know, as a GM, if you're just playing a game, as is you're saying, Craig, it's like you're just playing a game at home with your friends. You know, all you really have to worry about or concern yourself with is entertaining the other players at the table, right? But as you say, there's an expectation when you record it and you put it out there. Now, in theory, it's so easy to do that. You know, you may have no expectation. It's not like, you know, there's any barrier to entry. You could literally put your iPhone in the middle of a table. You could record audio. You could send via Anchor. You could upload it and just to literally for posterity or for whatever, you know, oh, it's easier than emailing this to the players. I'll just make it a podcast. And that, and that's, <laughs> you know, you could do that. You could do that. But my guess would be if you are GMing a podcast and you want to make it an actual play that you have an expectation of entertaining an audience and therefore to be a success, you need to consider that those are two overlapping circles, right? What works when you're entertaining your players at home, some of those things will entertain an audience, but not all of those things. And you want to think about that overlapping circle of like what would be both entertaining to an audience and to my players, right? And I think that's, I think character, speaking of players, is a huge part of that. So one thing I would say is, have characters fleshed out beforehand, before you start playing. So oftentimes, you know, with a role-playing game, you know, people will invent their, will invent their characters at the table and they'll kind of work out their, you know, maybe they have some backstory, but they'll kind of like work out their backstory, work out their relationships with other characters at the table, like work these things out. My thought would be, Maybe even if this is an episode zero or whatever, where these characters are meeting each other for the first time, I think players should, and, and a GM should encourage their players to come in with really well-fleshed out characters. Because at the end of the day, when you think about your favorite TV shows, right? You think about, you're thinking about characters. You're thinking about characters that you're going to fall in love with, that you're going to despise or that you're going to want to have a beer with right and like crafting a character like that takes some time and it takes some effort it's usually not something that's done just right off the fly so that's one tip gms encourage your players to think about their characters ahead of time and um for that matter in drama what's the most important thing as you will learn in any dramatic writing class is oh craig you want to do it Conflict. That's right. That's right. Craig. 100%, 100%. Star. Gold star. Sticker on the paper. That's right. Teacher's Conflict. pet. Yes. Yep. A little bit. Yeah. He gave me an apple. Craig mailed me an apple before the before the podcast. So he's got that as an advantage. Uh, Jess, but there's still time for you to bribe me in other ways. Maybe a digital gift card. You could send that over. Send that over email. Something to think about. Now, nah, now's now's the time to sit in the back of the class and, and glower for a bit. Maybe throw a pencil <laughs> under the ceiling. Oh, all right. Well, you took the other approach. That's fine. Um, that's it still gets me attention. Socially so. acceptable. Yes. So yes, conflict. And so. Um, another advantage to having characters fleshed out and maybe submitted to a GM early is that the GM can think of ways to connect these characters, think of things that will bond these individual characters together and things that will produce conflict 
within them creating drama. So uh, yeah, I, I, that's that's just like, I, I'll just throw that out there to start. I don't want to go through a thousand tips. I could go through a thousand tips, but let me start that. The, a character, I think a character focused approach where you're putting effort into your characters, how they relate to each other and, and, and thinking about like shared goals that they'll have as a group and also things that will produce conflict within them, I think will create interesting uh, it will create will create entertaining and interesting scenes, which is I think crucial for entertaining an audience. I think that makes a lot of sense because when when you watch a movie or you read a book, you are really as the audience, you are very much concerned about the characters and you care about the plot vicariously through the characters. You're not necessarily invested in the like who why do you care at that point? No, you care because you care about the the characters. Whereas if you were just playing in a game, you care about the plot because you essentially are embodying the characters. It's a very different vibe. Like you have a lot more, it feels like a lot more personal stakes when you are a player at the table. So I think that that's great advice, making sure you as a GM are being conscious of that. Like you cannot just carry this actual play based on a cool plot because even if the, even if the characters are gonna really like it, if no one likes the characters. Yeah. It is a problem. I, I think that, that you definitely have to heighten the, the the personal stakes there. On a related note, from the GM point of view too, building off everything both of you said was the, as a GM, making sure in the game that you're giving the players the opportunity in story, you know, in different story beats of expressing those characters and making bringing those characters to the fore, you know, and letting them kind of get their personality out there and make very worthwhile choices that will affect the story. Like, you know, don't, don't, you know, perhaps be careful about leading the, the characters through the story too much. Like put it, make it very active, make sure that, that those characters that the, the audience is going to invest in are doing things that are worth watching and, and, and are active and, and less so reactive, except, yeah. you know, maybe occasionally reactive, but mostly kind of making active choices that drive the story. I think that, um, you know, some designers, uh, the design, uh, the metaphor I would use would be like, like theme park design for role-playing games, where it's like, you are, your players are like sitting in a cart and they are like experiencing your world building. You're basically trying to like show them like a spec, you know, it's like, oh, then this, ha you know, th this happens and this, but thousands of years ago, you know, and you're like guiding them with like a, like a cart through like a track. And like, I think for, uh, to go off what you say, but active, you know, I think you, you want your, to give your players uh, moments to fulfill their goals, you know, moments to express moments to express what they want um and moments to achieve what they want you know and 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 you know giving them you know so under so so it's like okay i know that one of my players is a thief and he has always wanted to score this incredible jewel it's like been his like life's goal to like score this incredible jewel right it's like okay like that you know i read that as a gm and i'm like Oh, okay. This is a goal. This is a goal with personal stakes. You know, let's see. Let's see if I can play that. Let's see if I can bring that. Like, I let's see if there's there, there's something interesting there. There's some drama there that we could potentially find. You know, we could potentially find. And maybe, you know, one of the players has another connection to that jewel as to that jewel as well. Maybe they both would want to to take it for whatever reason, you know? And it's like, oh, okay. Like you have an NPC who's like, hey, like, you know, just between you and me, like in that castle, it's like in the, the Jewel of Asgard. And then like, you've got two players lighting up, like the Jewel of Asgard, that's been my life's journey. It's like the Jewel of Asgard, that's been in my family for generations. <laughs> well, it's like, well, okay, we're going to go, at, you know, we're going to work together to steal the Jewel. But once we get it, we're going to have to figure out which one of us, which one of us gets, you know, which one of us gets it. Right. So then it's like, oh, there's all these personal stakes because not only do, are they working together to achieve this goal, you know, this action to do this action, but they also have to settle a conflict between them, between mm -hmm. themselves, you know? So, um, 
yeah, there's a lot. There's, 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 it's, it's all about, I think, like dangling those, like knowing what your players want and like then dangling those things in front of the players is like, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just, that's just classic, you know, dramatic storytelling. Right, right. That's good for any game. Like, but for, for an actual play, I can imagine that you have to do a lot more planning ahead of time to ensure that those beats are happening at a pace that's narratively satisfying. Um, where, like, if you're playing in a, in a game that's, that's not being broadcast, the, the pace of the beats, it's not the most important thing. It's like this, the, the, the storytelling is not going to follow that specific rhythm that you do get when you're watching specific audience-centered media. Uh, because, you know, that's just the nature of, of playing a game. Sometimes you do a lot of stuff on the fly. Sometimes, like you said, sometimes you build the characters on the fly, all of that. But you really have to be conscious when you're writing a story, because that's essentially what you're doing when you're GMing an actual play, right? You're writing a story, making sure that it feels like it's coming at the right time, that the stakes have been developed ahead of time and have been spoken. Of. Like, it's not going to be satisfying if they've never talked about this jewel ever before. And this is the first time they're ever hearing about it. And by they, I mean the audience. Right. That's not going to be satisfying. Yeah, I think that, that there's a lot more thought that has to go into that a lot more planning especially absolutely Uh, pacing is huge it's a it's an excellent point so uh you know when you're designing it you know when you're designing just a long-term D campaign you know it's kind of like tell it's it's kind of like telling stories like around a campfire it's like you could that story could be as long as you want, could be as short as you want. You know, a man mm-hmm. with a hook enters, he kills everybody, the end. You know, the fun is that you're like around the campfire, you know, so you have that time, you have all night, you know, there's nobody watching, there's nobody expect, there's no, there's lack of expectation. But when you put it in an actual play, yeah, there's an expectation about pacing. And you also want to give your audience you know, you you want to you you want to give your audience reason to come back, right? If you if you take a whole episode, right, of your actual play, and it's just like these characters meeting each other for the first time, and like getting a and like getting maybe their first quest, and then like that's where the episode ends. You know, there isn't much conflict. You know, there isn't necessarily necessarily there isn't much reason to come back. Right. It's like, oh, OK, well, these characters seem nice. You know, when you do when you see like an origin story in like a superhero film, it's not just like here's a man. He got bit by a spider. He gets powers. The end, you know, end of story or tune in next time to find out what he does with those powers. <laughs> it's like it's like, no, that's not you didn't hook. I, I didn't get a hook there. It's like, you know, you know, man gets bit by, you know, you know, here's man, man gets bit by spider, man gets spider powers, but is, is, uh, is mom going to find out that he has spider powers, right? Is, uh, are spider powers going to, uh, you know, what will, how will his, you know, oh, he's a straight A student. Will he be able to maintain his grades while fighting crime? Oh, somebody has invaded the aliens have invaded the city. Can man use spider powers to, you know? Yes, Craig. I've got one. Yeah. Um, I'm going to describe every single Spider-Man movie right here. Father figure causes problems for boy with spider powers, whatever sure. those problems might be. Like there's, yeah. Yeah. Like, Get Absolutely. that father figure, introduce them, have them become the villain, have them become the, th- you know, or, 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 or find out about the powers or. Absolutely. But by yeah. the end, but by the end, exactly. But by the end of the always first, something. but by the end of that first session, you're absolutely going to want to, uh, to give some, some kind of hook, some kind of thing. So I you would gotta say. Kill, gotta kill Uncle Ben. You, you have gotta to kill Uncle Ben. Yeah. You have to, you, you know. have to. You have to make that quest personal for for these characters. You have to make it, you have to give me a reason as an audience member, you know, because there's, there's, and this is the other thing. It's like, there's a lot of D&D podcasts out there. There's a lot of actual play podcasts out there. So it's like, why, why yours? You know, why this story? You know, what is it about this story that makes me 
want to watch this, you know, watch this one. Um, and it's going to come down to the characters and it's going to come down to their journey, you know. And so pacing is a big part of that. Setting up those stakes, you know, in that very first episode um, is crucial. Yeah, the world is important, but why is it important to these characters? We do on Worst Movies Ever Played, we do, it's sort of different. We don't do a long running campaign. So our show is uh, based in the world of like bad 80s movies. <laughs> so we, we make up every time we sit down to play the game, we like create like a bad 80s movie the kind that you would see in the dumpster behind a blockbuster. That's the level of quality we shoot for. <laughs> so it's these cult movies, right? And so, you know, when we, we want to set up, we, we think of it just like a movie. So we want to set up that like character want, like very quickly, you know, who is this, you know, who are the two? It's, it's three of us. So, so myself and Brent, we play, generally play the main character. So it's like, who am I? That's, those are the questions I want answered in the first 10 minutes of the episode. Who is my, who is my character? Who is Brent's character? What is, what is happening to, you know, what is happening to us? You know, so one in one we did, you know, I am a, uh, I am a play a, a down in his luck car salesman who is really bad at his job. Okay. Brett played a, like a wilderness trapper who doesn't want to be bothered. But uh, in a car I sold of his, there was uh, a stockpile of weapons and, we sold it to, <laughs> and I, and I sold it to a teenage, to a bunch of teenagers uh, for very cheap. We have to get that car back. That happens in like the first like 10 minutes. Like we know that that's, we know what's going on. The rest of it is all about the two of us who don't like each other, you know, who have a hard time working with each other. Like, figuring out how are we going to work together to get back this car full of weapons. But like all of that stuff, like do it, you know, do it fast. And like, so I can get to the meat of the, of the conflict. That's going to, that's, which is really seeing the two of us with very different personalities clash with each other. That's really, that's the, that's the show, you know, for that particular episode. I would argue get to everything fast. Mm -hmm. um have beats you know whatever you like or dislike about marvel movies there's a fight every 20 minutes they know how to keep people interested in the the story moving forward there's always something that's going to kind of drive the story forward usually involves um a physical (laughs) um conflict sometimes it's a different type of conflict um but you can you can pace that sort of stuff out and be aware of the format of your ap how long Mm -hmm. it is whether if it's a video thing if you're doing a break in the middle like a cliffhanger at the end is always good, but a cliffhanger at the midpoint when you're going to take a break or some, un, you know, some question being left uh, to, to draw people to come back is good. And then having like, you know, good story beats, you know, every so often, depending on kind of how the game plays. Like if it's a game that gets a little crunchier and there's going to be more dice rolling in combat, takes a long time and it's tactical and all that sort of thing, your beats might take longer to get to. But if you've got a story you know, a rules light game that you're playing and it's going to be kind of moving through mostly role play oriented kind of stuff with just some checks here and there, then you can make those beats faster and get like, you know, you can progress the story a lot and get a lot done if you keep in mind that, well, like we want to hit something every 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, I bet you have to like plan out those, like this is what I want to accomplish within this game session, which you can't always do. You have to do a lot more corralling, right? Especially if you do one live. I feel like that takes a lot more effort on the part of the GM to like, okay, you guys can't keep getting off topic here. We got to come to a consensus now. That's one of those. Yeah. Whereas like with an audio pod, like, first of all, uh, absolute felicitations to anyone who edits a a (laughs) podcast with more than three people on it, because that sounds like my personal help. (laughs) And like, that takes a lot of work, but at least with an like just audio format, that's not coming out live. There is I mean, yeah, you have to be a little bit more descriptive and stuff. You can't have maps up, et cetera, but you can at least kind of edit things. Like if someone does get off topic and like it's spreading stuff out or maybe it took them a long time to think of something, like you can clip it, cut it out. I, I want to say- Bonus content. The, there's two, <laughs> you, you both hit on two great things that I want to touch on more. Just let, let's, talk, let's talk about editing. I would, as, as a tip, 
for a GM and for a team who is doing this, I would highly recommend getting having an outside editor work on the project to do what we call there's there's two parts to editing. Um, there's what we we call story edit, where you're you're not thinking about music, you're not thinking about sound effects, you're just thinking about cutting. First of all, vocal pauses, cutting ums. As you know, things that we say in speech, likes that aren't necessary, you know, cutting those down, cutting them back can make a podcast more entertaining and more listenable. But also, yes, there's a lot of stuff that happens at a table we as an audience don't need to hear. And it's not particularly entertaining when we do hear it. A conversation about an arcane rule and like looking up a rule it's not necessarily something we want to hear. It might be entertaining and funny. And if it is, great. If you, if you guys, if the, your troop is particularly persnickety or whatever, and like hearing that conversation would be really fun, that's great. Um, I know on our show, uh, Brent loves, he, he's, not the, the, he's not the GM, he's a player, but he really loves like nitpicking at like the little world details. Like he'll talk about like, you know, Patrick, who's, who's the GM, will be like, he pulled up in a car and it's like, what car? And Brent will be like, what car is it? And oh, this is like, Andy. You're talking about my friend Andy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, What's and that guy's so, name? Where does he live? Right. And, but, <laughs> and, colors but, like, his hair. <laughs> but less about like, but it's less about that he wants to just like poke holes or just, it's more that he has like a lot of knowledge about like specific subjects. And so he wants to like delve into that. So he'll be like, oh, he, you know, if this is uh, if this is a kid teenager driving a Jeep in the 1980s, he's not wearing a seatbelt. This is the era of like of like, you know, fly free like he you know, he would definitely <laughs> would not be wearing a seatbelt. And and then Patrick would be like, fine, he's not wearing a seatbelt, you know, and it's like a funny <laughs> it's like a funny moment that they have. Yeah. But what it what it does, what it's really happening there is we're seeing character. We're just seeing a character outside of the fictional realm we're seeing brent's character in real life right. come to life and so that's interesting but anyway okay so so editing i highly recommend if you can afford it if everybody in the group can chip in get an editor outside who isn't part of your who isn't one of your friends who isn't in the record to listen to it and cut it down typical game session is what four hours sure you could chop that into four one hour episodes but it's there's a likely a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor uh, that you could leave on the cutting room floor. Hire an editor, a professional audio editor to look at it and make cuts. I think you'll find that the end result is something that will be more entertaining. I also want to talk about conf I also want to talk about conflict. I want to talk about action because something really important to point out, um, whether it's Marvel movie or you know, an action movie or whatever, is that there's two things that appeal to us about. Uh, about action. One is the spectacle of it, which is very difficult to pull off successfully in audio or in, uh, or especially on a live role play. You know, you really have to be, you know, you really have to sell it, I feel like, from an acting standpoint. Yes, you could have great music, you know, tense music, you can have, you know, cool explosion sound effects or what have you, but like, probably the way you're going to sell it is with like good performances and like really those performances taking that action seriously in that moment. So as opposed to just being like, you know, okay, I slash his head, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's like I unsheathed my sword and I, you know, wipe my blade across and the, the GM like plays with it. And it's like his head goes flying off his shoulders and circles in the air. Blood that poor teenager in the Jeep. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. I was doing a different thing. But... for not having a seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that did get, I think that kid in that game actually did get, I wasn't so, so he wasn't wearing in a that game, but he, I think he did get hurt pretty badly. Um, but you know, it's like an eighties <laughs> movie. So you know, everybody comes to violent ends and like, it was like, a, it was like a weird Christian horror. It turned out to be like a weird Christian horror movie. Anyway. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> the, um, it's a weird show. Worst movies ever played. Stepford's audio. Um, so uh, we killed children in the game. Anyway, so, uh, but then the other thing is, okay, so there's the, the spectacle element, right? But there's also, we want to remember that a lot of times in action movies, 
the action is character conflict being resolved, right? It's like, it's like these two guys are fighting. Why? Because he, the villain, uh, kidnapped the, the, the cop's wife, and now it's personal, right? There's a, there is a character conflict there, right, between these two people. And the action is just a way to express it. In the same way, you could also, in theory, you could also express it. They could have a conversation. The two of them could have a conversation. You know, I really think you should let my wife go. Well, I do not want to let your wife go. She is worth a lot of, she is worth a lot of money. And I care about money because, uh, <laughs> you know, my organ, my evil organization uh, wants to thrive. And it's like, well, uh, I hate your evil organization and everything it stands for. It's like, you know, <laughs> that doesn't change have... how much my organization needs. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, to carry out its ends, you know, so you could have that conversation. But maybe the best way to express that conflict between those characters is by having them shoot each other on a rooftop, right? <laughs> but at the heart of it is a character conflict. So I would suggest, you know, in D&D, in typical D&D, you know, your characters are traversing through a forest, right? They Maybe they happen to come across a band of orcs and they have to defeat those orcs, right? And it's like, when you're at a table with like a group of friends, like that's entertaining because like, oh, you're like figuring, you're, you're playing with each other and you figure things out. But that might not be as entertaining for an audience as, you know, oh, like this one character, you know, um, has come to um, their childhood home and they see it has been ransacked. Who, who would do such a thing? oh, goblins, goblins have ransacked this character's home. And it's like, oh, now it's personal. Now we have a connection here. This guy doesn't, this, this, this hero doesn't just want to, just doesn't just need to kill a bunch of goblins because they happen to be in their way. Um, you know, they're, they want to kill, they need to kill these goblins because they feel grief, because they feel anger, they feel emotion and audience members connect with emotion. Anyway, that was a lot. So no. you all at once. So but. what do we what do we do as game designers then? Uh oh. How do we how do we evoke this within our game design? Like what I don't think every game personally, I don't think every game is suited to an actual play. Yeah. So this is my method of transitioning into the next <laughs> the next segment here. Um, like there are a lot of games that involve stuff that isn't happening actually like in the world, right? There, there are like meta actions happening and, and things that don't involve the character conflict themselves. And that doesn't make for great, you know, visual or audio storytelling for an audience. So what does, like, how can we design games that are suitable or even more suitable perhaps to an actual play. I don't even think D&D is very suitable to an actual play because the the conflict, the combats are so long. They're so long. Yeah. And <laughs> they're boring if even if you're a player sitting there waiting for your turn. So, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's I, I I in my opinion like, you know, as a designer, as a D&D designer, like I think of D&D as having three pillars, you know, combat social exploration. So when I'm thinking about actual play, I'm thinking primarily about social. Like I'm, I, that's the, that is the, the pillar that I lean on when designing that type of story. And, you know, d and has those mechanics, like, but yeah, there, there are probably other games that are better suited for. It. I mean, we use, for worst movies, we, whoever played, we use um, a, a game called Straight to VHS. Um, it is designed specifically to to play movies, to make movies. It is perfectly suited. I think Powered by the Apocalypse is really well suited for actual plays because all of the character, all of the mechanics in that game are related to personality traits. And right. so, so whenever you make a move in game, it's it's you are also evoking a personality trait. And so you are, it's more likely to create emotion, you know, um, I'm also, it's also like more highly like interactive rather than like the roles that you make aren't taking a lot of time up at the table in a, in a lot of part of the apocalypse games, not 
all of them. They're all designed differently, but it's not focused on the mechanics so much as it is focused on narrative triggers. It's story it's forward, like story. as they say. Very story forward. Everything you roll like does something to the story. Right. Yeah. It doesn't just decide whether or not you hit with a weapon. It doesn't decide whether or not you, you know, make the jump in the car. Like you make the jump in the car, but what does that mean to the story? Do you right. get away in the chase? Okay, now the story's different because you got away. Yeah. That's right. And and of course, like with everything, you know, react, you know, uh, evoking reactions is, is, and this is important for the GM to understand, evoking player reactions, honest and interesting player reactions is how I think you can do things like combat successfully, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if you're a GM and you tell your player, you know, uh, okay, the, the, the goblin, you know, strikes at you, you know, what do you do? You know, that's, that doesn't that's not that you give what you get you know you're going to get what you give if you you have to you have to make it feel visceral you know to that player um and that's a way that you can make combat i think and and things like in dnd like more more interesting you know it's like the you know the, the goblin sneaks under your shield and slashes at your your at your ankles you know uh you know and then the player is like oh it causes my character immense pain. Oh, you know, I always, as a play, when I play in, in actual play, I always try to think about the reaction. I always think about like, what does my character say and do in reaction to what's happened? Because those are moments where those are human moments where you can, you can connect with the character. You know, if uh, in action, maybe they are super confident and cool character so when they get slashed by the goblin, the, my character grits his teeth and bear and bears it, right? Oh, okay, that's that's a choice. That's a character choice, you know. But maybe the character is like a little girl who has never experienced pain before, <laughs> and is like, my character, my character cries and is sad, you know, and is sad. Like, but the um, but the but the thing is that as a game designer. You have to be you have to be thinking you know and on your feet in terms of how can I provoke react how can I provoke reactions character based reactions from my players that's part of your responsibility as the, yeah. as the GM. There are a lot of games that that do that they they instead of just a pass fail kind of mechanic like you either succeed or you fail, which is kind of traditional in a lot of games like that is how D D works you succeed or you don't. Maybe you crit fail, maybe you crit succeed, and that's only for combat within the within the realm of the rules. But having maybe adding those emotional stakes within the mechanics, okay, like when I'm just gonna use some powered by the apocalypse type moves, I guess. Like when yeah. when you hit, you have you have this sort of reaction, like something something bad happens to you personally, a bad stake happens. The game that I'm designing right now that we're, we're wrapping up, uh, we're writing and writing and layout for is uh, if when you hit a stress break, there is a narrative setback. There's always a narrative setback that's kind of set ahead of time. And then like this general rule that happens and then you act it out in the scene. And there is a mechanical benefit for you too within, within, the, within the realm of the game. So there's always a guideline for you for how to kind of embody this character within the world itself, uh, because all of those emotions are really tied up into the character. So really thinking, I think as a game designer, thinking about what, what are the consequences outside of the mechanics, outside of the what's happening on the dice or the cards or whatever it is, what is going to happen to the characters themselves and their relationships does provoke a lot more of that of that drama. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, from a design perspective, it's like you have to be building with that in mind. You, you have to be building with the idea that you're building for reaction, building for emotion, you know, to, uh, to, to create those stakes, you know, to get your players engaged in a way that they can then express to, um, to the audience. A hundred percent. The, 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 um, in, um, in straight to VHS, there's a fun, con there's a fun mechanic, um, called showing weakness. And basically 
when your character when your character fails at something that they would be that your character attempts something that they normally wouldn't be good at and they fail they show weakness and what that does is it encourages failure because the showing weakness thing gives you a, a ability if you you get enough of it you can use it to change the script in your favor but basically what you're doing is you're encouraging your character to fail because as a designer if a character fails then they feel they can express sadness they can express a they can express anger they can express an emotion and so it's like oh okay that's a good that's like a good mechanic showing weakness meaning to get a player to attempt something they normally wouldn't be able to do and when it's likely if they succeed they'll be enthusiastic because it's like they weren't supposed it's not something they were supposed to be good at and when they fail it's like oh damn it you know it's like oh i can't believe i you know i i screwed that up and it it put, and it will push the the story forward in a fun way so I, I that's that's an example i think of uh designing for uh for emotion i think it's really cool um i also found myself thinking a bit about designing a game to kind of fit like what you expect I'm thinking mostly in terms of like APs that are like two, three, four hours long video streamed, mm -hmm. you know, that are, you're going to try to tell a whole story in a certain amount of time and having, you know, thinking about games, your, your game design in terms of how, what, what you can do to facilitate that fairly well. And I, you know, and just hit on the idea of simpler, you know, avoiding situations where you've got a lot of really heavy mechanics, that's going to really slow things down and, prevent you from getting to story beats faster. So simpler mechanics is generally helpful. I've done that. Like when I designed good, strong hands, it was kind of inherently intended to be something that could be run on an AP very easily. It could be internet play very easily where it's like the stories are relatively simple. The mechanics aren't terribly diff complicated. There's some mechanics built into the game that slowly build your character towards some thing. Like, you know, failure always comes with a complication. So there's something that always affects the story. Um, even doing too well draws the ire and the notice of the void. So it slowly corrupts your character. And if you're on the cusp of gaining a corruption that like that's going to change your character in some significant way, give them some dark power that they may or may not embrace wholly. Um, and then I also thought a little bit, I think the one that I always kind of come back to at least the last year or two has been, is what the game loop looks like for some, for those games that kind of have a very clearly defined one. Um, and Blades in the Dark is great for that. It's, uh, you know, plan the job, do the job, complete the job, deal with the consequences, downside, downtime. And you could do a three hour game session and you could chop it up into episodes if you want to, where like, you know, kind of knowing like the, the game does a good job of, of being conducive to, to this sort of thing, because it's like, we, we're going to plan the job and get that out of the way. So that's all that introduction stuff that you were talking about, Jeffrey, that's going to kind of set up the story. And then we're going to get in there and we can hit like the first or maybe first two major uh, complications to getting the job done. And then that's a good break for cutting your episode and then you do a, a middle act where it's like okay now you're continuing to get through the job and then there's like a big moment that's like oh my god what are we going to do with this and then you get to the last episode you know the, the third hour where okay now you resolve that thing and you deal with the the repercussions of everything um and you have a nice friendly little downtime where you say well now my character is advancing like this and we all know we're gaining a contact that we got to kind of keep in mind and you know these are these other things that come into play in the in the game now that we all need to kind of decompress and, and figure that all, all that stuff out and have a nice little happy wrap to the story. Um, and the game, you know, the game loop like that, and there's a lot of different ways you can game loop things. You know, you can give some thought to how that might be designed or intended, presented in the game that you're writing um, and how that might uh, translate into a two-hour, three-hour session, four-hour session. A game loop basically becomes your de facto story structure, right? It's like, in uh, you know, in film and TV, there's there's these things like save the cat or whatever. You know, the, there's these like set structures: Act One, Act Two, Act Three, and Act One. You set up your heroes in Act Two. There's rising tension in Act Three. You pay off the tension. In this case, what you're describing, the game loop is basically serves that function. It says, okay, here's this. Here's how the story begins. Here's how the story, you know, here's how the story develops and how it, the tension, and by the way, rising tension, 
also very important in you know when you're when you are doing dramatic work you 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 want the stakes to increase you want things to get things get more dangerous tempers get higher you know as it goes as it goes along and then at the end resolution you resolve the you know you resolve the conflict and so the game loop becomes that I also really like what you, I really like the idea of corruption as a mechanic. I think corruption is like ideal mechanic for uh, an actual play because it gives the player like a direction to, in terms of like an acting direction, like within the scope of the mechanic. So it doesn't just say like, you know, your player gets hurt. It says like everything your player that's good about your character, your player like becomes corrosive and bad. And it's like, oh, okay, as a player, like I can think about, I can, you, you, your player can get into that and say, oh, okay, like my character is really friendly. So now when they're corrupted, I'm going to act really, you know, really nasty, you know? And so it's like, oh, okay, great. That's something that like you as a designer, you can give, that's a gift that you give to your to your player for them to act for them to present this character in a new and in, in a new dimension of this character in an interesting way right i mean the the character arc is like the personal character arcs are super important in stories too so we, we talked about like the conflict that you'd have like with interactions within the conflicts and specific scenes and like how you can carry on that plot through a game loop but the character arcs themselves are super important rather than just like, okay, I leveled up. I get a skill. Now, how is that in any way narratively interesting, especially if it's kind of the same for every character, you go back and play that same kind of character. Not a lot's going to be changing, but uh, going back to something that you said in the the first half of the episode, Jeffrey uh, was like the, the thing that the character wants, how can you incorporate this thing that the character wants into the character in a satisfying way? Because you want, by the time that the story's over, you want the conflict within actually within the characters to have also been resolved, whether for good or for bad, like whether or not they get the thing that they wanted ultimately, or they didn't, at least they had a chance to try. So how can you maybe as a game designer incorporate those personal character goals and desires within the actual, the traditional leveling up thing that we always tend to have in a TTRPG, the skill advancement, this, this actual mechanical advancement, you can think about the personal enhancement, the personal growth yep. um, within that too. There's, there are all sorts of fun things you can do within, within that leveling quote unquote system that a lot of games have. I agree. It's you bringing up an excellent point. So uh, yes, characters want specific things in a scene. You know, uh, I, you know, I go to an ice cream shop. Uh, I want pistachio ice cream. They don't have pistachio ice cream. Uh, I throw a fit. You guys always have pistachio ice cream. They say, there's nothing I can do for you. And I leave and storm out and I write a bad Yelp review. Right. Okay. <laughs> that's a, that's a scene with conflict. Right. But is that scene really about the pistachio ice cream? Why, uh, why am I so invested in the pistachio ice cream? Maybe the pistachio ice cream uh, is something I would always get on this, the anniversary of my, my, I used to go with my father every Sunday to this ice cream shop. We used to go together to the ice cream shop and uh, we used to get this pistachio ice cream together. And uh, now we had a falling out and he won't talk to me. And I'm taking my rage about my father out on this poor ice cream clerk. Maybe uh, then I need to resolve my conflict with my father. Maybe the ice cream is what they would call the MacGuffin. Maybe leveling up means not just that I get more powers in a game, but that I get closer to the ultimate realization that solves my main conflict, which right. isn't really about the MacGuffin. It's about why I want the MacGuffin. It's, it's about what the MacGuffin, the thing represents to the, to the character, right? So, so when, when as a designer, 
you're looking at this character and you're like, okay, what does this character want? What does this character want? This character wants the jewel. Why does this character want the jewel? Because this character has been tormented their whole life and they want peace. And the jewel represents freedom. If they can get acquire the jewel and they can sell it, they can, uh, you know, they could live comfortably. So maybe leveling up for that character means, oh, maybe, maybe they don't need the jewel to be at peace. Maybe as they get stronger, you know, they get more, maybe there's more zen, you know, they can sort of to see the world in a different way. You know, maybe you start to play on the thief's emotions a little bit more. Maybe they start to see the world as like, oh, you know what, there's a lot of conflict in the world. You know, there's a lot of conflict in the world. Am I contributing to that? You know, maybe they can come to a realization. They don't need the jewel to be at peace. Maybe they need Zen Buddhism. I don't know. You know, this is just a far out example, but you can see what I'm saying. It's like where the leveling up becomes about getting closer to their, the subtext of their goal, right? If you could do, if you can do that, you will create a very engaged, that is very engaging for an audience. They will be, I guarantee you, you do it successfully. They will be hooked. They will, they will be desperate for your characters to achieve them. They will really want to see your characters. Achieve the players will want it too, which yeah. is obviously if you're designing a game, you're not only designing so it can be played for an actual play you want it to sell. Uh, I've always been interested in exploring like a character tree. I've, I've had moments when I've played a game where like, I know if this thing happens, like I, this is a character goal of mine, either I get it or I don't. And I have ideas for what I want to do with my character, depending. Um, I had a character that could have got, it was like a Phoenix type character. I could have ended up getting immortality and never, ever dying again or not. I could have gone down either of those paths, depending on whether or not the love of her life died or survived. And like, I didn't know what I was going to end up taking from my level until that moment happened. Like I had two different character ideas in mind. I've always wanted to explore kind of that idea of a, of a character sitting down, maybe not planning like every single story beat ahead of time, but a specific goal that the character has in mind and tying that specifically to two diverting paths that the, the character character can take mechanics wise i've i've always found that to be interesting yeah absolutely um it's good interactive storytelling um see this is the this is where the this is the thing is you can't always plan out what a character is going to do you can think of what's are some likely scenarios and try to plan for those but you can't always plan for it so this is where like you you as the gm need to understand these characters deep on a deep level Mm -hmm. so that you can present them with choices and options and when they when they make choices they you feel like oh okay I understand what you are trying to do so it's a conversation it's a conversation it's less like you are the playwright and they are the actor it's more like you're both writers and you're both actors and it's in a theater troupe you know and you're you know you're it's a it's it's working together both of both of you need to have a, a shared understanding of who that character is, what they want. And then together you could sort of bring that character to where they, where they need to be. Um, so that either choice that you would make, they would know that the GM would understand like how that would be resonant with your character on an emotional level and can present story, you know, that you, right. and you create that feedback. And as a designer, finding ways to build at least a little something into the game. It doesn't have to be super overt. Um, It doesn't need to be the focus of the game, but it can be a subsystem within the game that you're designing that helps to make those types of connections that ties mechanics into character emotion or goals that ties. um, When I say mechanics, I don't necessarily mean dice rolling. I mean, like you just, you have a quality or a condition. Like when you're getting to the pistachio ice cream thing, you could have in the game, you know, because you can't achieve that that goal of, of getting pistachio ice cream, that maybe you suffer some sort of a condition that affects your roles until such time as you either get your ice cream or resolve the reason that not getting the ice cream is a problem <laughs> for you. Right. Yeah. 
That's and it. so now the now the player has the choice of of a couple of different paths to get rid of that negative condition, um, both of which will alleviate a mechanical problem, and both of which will progress the story in some way, shape, or form. The more you, you know, perhaps dramatic. Um, resonant ways for the character to resolve why the not getting the ice cream is a problem, like having you no. Know, so basically, you know, making thing making amends with their father. Yeah, but or, that or, might or, not be on the that might not be on the docket for right at this moment. Right now, maybe you just right. want to kick down the door and get yourself some ice cream. Damn it! And yeah. I'll deal with my dad later because I'm busy with something else right now. But you're also even if you're even if you're just kicking down the door and getting the ice cream to get rid of the mechanical bonus, you're reminding. Um, yourself, the other people at the table, that this conflict with your character's father exists. And, um, you know, for Same. for any game, that's useful. And for an AP in particular, because it is such a character-driven thing, it's particularly useful. And you've heightened the con- you've heightened the conflict, right? It's like, okay, you know, they can't get the ice cream at the ice cream shop. Okay, you, you know, you're mechanically, you're cursed until you can get this ice cream. Okay, great. I'm going to go to That's how this- I feel. I know, me too. Uh, yeah, I definitely <laughs> want ice cream right now. Um, and it's, it's, it's ice 10 a.m. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, in my time, the yeah, you uh, you know, you go, you okay, your character is cursed as they can get the ice cream. Okay, great. I am going to. Uh, where is the nearest soup? Where is the nearest supermarket? Um, the nearest supermarket is like is like twelve blocks away. It's like great. My character is going to furiously. Uh, you know, run to the su- run to the supermarket until I get that uh, until I can find that ice cream. Okay, great. You head to the you head to the super. You, you're at the supermarket now. Okay, great. I am ripping through the aisles. You know, I am <laughs> looking for pistachio. You know, I'm looking for pistachio. Uh, you know, as you rip through the aisles, you know, you are like shoving an old lady. You know, away. You are just and so you can so so basically like you can height you can heighten it right. So you can take that that conflict. And we can heighten it to the point where, and it's like, oh, finally, I've got the ice cream that I wanted. And it's like, and then maybe both, you know, and then the audience is going to wonder and the player is going to wonder, like, what was going on? Like, what was going on here in the back of their head? You know, but for but for now, it's interesting because you have a character, you have what they want and you have a conflict that is hot, that is heightening. And and you want to play it. And, and as the GM, you want to play to that. Um, so yeah, I think that's, 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 that's great. Great use of mechanics there. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, now I just really want pistachio ice cream, like really, really bad right now. Uh, Jeffrey, plug your pluggables. Let's wrap this thing up. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, uh, the new season of worst movies ever played, uh, is coming very soon, uh, to Starburns audio. Uh, you can find it, catch up on old episodes on your podcast player of choice. You can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey Golden. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, like the giraffe, G-O-L-D-E-N, like the color. Uh, I also have a Substack newsletter you can follow called Adventure Snack at adventuresnack.com, where I write, choose your adventure type games, like a classic 80s game book type games. Uh, and I email them to you twice a month. So uh, yeah, that's where you could that's where you could find me. And uh, yeah, and I hope you will come along for this ride. It's a bump. It's a rocky road. Oh, that's another kind of ice cream. It's delicious. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> you can find me at the ice cream store. Um, you can find me <laughs> at on Twitter at @jasca. You can also find my games at wannabegames.com or on itch or on DriveThroughRPG under the same moniker and uh yeah i'm craig campbell it's uh the, the website is nerdburgergames.com i am at nerdburger craig on twitter um the games are at the website or at drive through rpg um i'm also starting a patreon at patreon.com slash nerdburger craig that's going to help get things kicked off to get uh capers cyber made which is the caper cyber is the kind of end game to the capers universe which i've been tinkering with in my head and um in the zeros and ones on the screen for a couple of years and i'm finally like going to pull the trigger and get this done so you can help uh donate a couple bucks a month toward the artist getting paid and getting some artwork going so that uh, the kickstarter eventually won't be so painful (laughs) (laughs) um so there's that thank you to our sponsor this week uh ben and jerry's ben and jerry's (laughs) ice cream i'm joking that's Um, a good one but 
but now now everyone wants some. So if Ben and Jerry's would like to sponsor the podcast, you can email me at nerdbrookergames uh, <laughs> at, at gmail.com. I'll, I'll gladly entertain sponsorships. Delicious nerd burger flavored uh, <laughs> ice cream. Mm, R- yeah. RPG raspberry pistachio, pistachio. and ganache. <laughs> Chocolate ganache. I don't know. <laughs> Grape. I don't know. We'll Grape. No, <laughs> absolutely not that. Uh, <laughs> thank you also for our opening and closing theme song, which is Abel by Steph Sachs, which was licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you so much for that, Steph Sachs. And thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.